Welcome back to another episode of Read It or List It. I'm Phoebe. And I'm Ashley. And in today's episode, we are back with another author interview. Today, we are joined by Laura Hankin, author of Happy and You Know It, which I feel like I've been waiting for since early copies began floating around back in the fall. Um, And it was even a May book of the month choice. Happy and You Know It is a novel about a musician named Claire who goes from performing in crowded bars for grown adults to overprivileged children in a quiet apartment on the Upper East Side of Manhattan. Claire is enchanted by the lives of these glamorous and effortlessly cool mothers, only to discover their secrets are darker than she thought. It is a commentary on motherhood with a heaping dose of juicy drama and laugh out loud moments. Thank you so much for being with us today, Laura. We'd love to begin with you telling our listeners a little bit about yourself and your book. Oh my God, thank you so much for having me. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so I actually worked as a playgroup musician myself for many years when I was living in New York in my 20s and, you know, trying to be an actor. I was a big musical theater nerd and then also doing some writing on the side. I stumbled into this like, incredibly flexible and lucrative day job. (laughs) So I would go, you know, bring my guitar and a bag of egg shakers around the city and go into these gorgeous apartments where like the elevator would open up straight into the living room, you know? Wow. I'm an, I'm an actor and I live in New York city. So I so could relate to so many elements of this book. Um, And I used to nanny as well. And I remember I would like come home. I had a really great family, but I would come home from these play dates with the kids. And I'd be like, the elevator opened right into the apartment. Or like they had a separate playroom, which is like unheard of in a Manhattan apartment. Um, So there were just so many moments while I was reading it where I was like, yep, I, I know that woman and I know that dad and that kid. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely had lots of time to observe while I was singing Wheels on the Bus like a thousand times. <laughs> well, given that you are performing yourself, obviously, what parts of Claire do you relate to? Um, and how many times have people asked you if this is based on like your real experiences? <laughs> uh, I get asked that a lot. Sometimes it's, you know, out of true curiosity. Sometimes it's my friends and family being like, this isn't Claire isn't you, is she? (laughs) You're happier and healthier. (laughs) Um, Yeah, because I think, you know, Claire and I have definitely had some of the same experiences and that we had the same job. And there are a few other little bits of my life that I sprinkled in, Um, although I probably shouldn't say which parts (laughs) because it could be embarrassing. Um, (laughs) But overall, I related to her feelings, you know, the sense that like, life is moving on without you and you were supposed to be successful and instead you're like in your late 20s and you haven't gotten anywhere that you wanted to be and you don't know if you ever will. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I think it's a a really nice commentary especially for I think in our late 20s we feel like you can feel so young one day and then so old another day and that it's okay if your dreams and goals and ambitions change um I think that's a hard thing for a lot of people to uh, relate to or to understand. And I think Claire is a really relatable character that like your, your dreams can shift and that's okay. Yeah. And it doesn't mean that you're a failure. (laughs) And I also think that Whitney had elements of that as well. um, Where she 
you know, she had a child younger than she thought, and maybe she hadn't accomplished some of the things that she set out to do. Yeah. Um, I definitely wanted to explore this idea of like Whitney having sort of single-mindedly pursued making herself the perfect life Mm -hmm. and then looking around, having achieved it and being like, wait a minute, am I happy (laughs) now? Um, and I was also really interested in this idea that Claire and Whitney were really only a couple years apart in age. Um, but like Whitney just is so much higher status. Um, and she assumes that Claire is so much younger, um, but really they are very close. Their lives have just taken very different directions. Right. I, I really liked, um, Whitney's, I guess, development and growth over the course of the novel. I loved Claire. I loved Amara. I mean, there are so many women that I really appreciated hearing their stories. And so obviously we get multiple perspectives in this novel um, and it follows the play group, but not all the play group members have a POV. What made you choose the women that you did to focus the story from and tell this story to us? Yeah. Um, so I, I wish I could have given POV chapters to all the women in the play group, but it felt like then this book would be 500 pages long and <laughs> I'm not Donna Tart. I can't get away with it. Um, <laughs> yeah. So it's interesting actually, because when I was starting to write this book, it was so much more a story of Claire, the musician, and then this one new mom who had just moved to New York City joining this play group and the two of them becoming friends and sort of joining forces against this group of like Stepford moms. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was far too satirical and all the other moms were really caricatures. Um, and at a certain point, I was like, that's not sustainable. I want to find out who these women are. So I started you know, just going by like, okay, well, clearly we're going to go into Whitney's story because she's the alpha mom. This is being hosted in her apartment. Um, I started writing little vignettes of backstories really just for myself so that I could know who these women were. And then I was like, oh, actually these women are way more interesting than this like random mom. That's the main character right now, Mm. I guess. 50 pages in, I should delete my main character and totally rework this. Um, and yeah, I think the the moms who get their own POV chapters, their voices just came really easily to me. And I felt like they were all different enough that they would have interesting things to say. Um, and I could really do unique voices for them all. Right. And I, I absolutely think that, that the uniqueness of their voices came across. I mean, I knew immediately one sentence in who whose perspective we were getting next and who was talking and what what was going on in their mind um and I really appreciated getting to see that and how different they were and it also really propelled the story along I mean I did not put it down it was so um compulsively readable for me um and I thought it was a really great story and I also really liked how much you know how this was despite the the witty comments and the kind of drama and and craziness to it. It was a big commentary on motherhood and this idea of like keeping up with the Joneses. So other than, you know, kind of having some personal experience um, as a performer and, and doing these playgroups, what else inspired you to write this story? Well, 
so this is related to the playgroup thing, but more specifically, there was this one day when I was hired to do a playgroup for um, these lonely new moms, basically, who were looking to make new mom friends. Uh, and so I showed up and this one other lonely mom shows up and we're waiting for all of her new mom friends and their babies to arrive. And we just keep waiting and waiting and nobody else comes. Mm. Um, yeah, it was really awkward and sad. Um, and so eventually we started talking and I realized how cool she was and how much I would like love to be her friend, but that we weren't ever really going to see each other again because we lived in these very different worlds. But it made me start wondering what would happen if, you know, a playgroup musician was sort of forced into this regular contact with her employers. Infiltrated it. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) My, my nanny family and their, uh, their friends, they'd always like forget that I wasn't a mom. (laughs) And like, (laughs) like there would be nights where they'd be like, we're going to all get a glass of wine. Do you want to go? And then like the family I worked for would be like, Phoebe's been with like other people's children all day. Like she's really ready to go home and be with like people her own age. But there is something like, I mean, at least for me, I found it very intoxicating to be accepted by these like high status, lower Manhattan women um, who, so I definitely like, I don't know. Cause like I loved going into Amara's apartment and knowing that like their financial situation was so different from the others, even though they were still very well off, um, but in like Manhattan standards. And I think that that's like, people just like love looking into people's lives that way. Um, But even though like you knew from the second that the prologue began that like the situation was like, just gonna go downhill um, and their (laughs) relationships were not, going to last um so did you have like that climactic moment in your head from the beginning or did the I know like a lot of writers say like you just have to listen to your characters and let the characters take you um so was it like something that you plotted out or were you able to just like I don't know did one day Whitney show you the way (laughs) (laughs) yeah she like showed up at my door and was like follow me (laughs) book (laughs) um I generally tend to have like a rough idea of the beginning, a rough idea of like a middle or a big twist, and then a rough idea of the end. I think the prologue came a little bit later, not like all the way back at the end of the book, because I definitely, I wrote it somewhat early on. It wasn't the first thing I wrote, but it was somewhat early on. And then I got to the end and I was like, oh my God, now I have to make all these details that I put into the prologue make sense. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, and but definitely besides those big markers like it was just large swaths of blank space that the characters ended up becoming so vibrant and like uh, I don't want to say told me what to do but I got to the point where I knew them well enough that I was like oh yeah it would be really fun to put them in this situation and now this is going to escalate here like this yeah there were so many really great moments and I was thinking when we were talking about you know um Phoebe was mentioning her nanny experience I used to babysit for this family and I remember I'm we'll keep it spoiler free but there's a moment with um Claire and 
I remember being like that girl that like sat down on the couch and like the, the like the couch just sat like feels more expensive than your couch and like the blankets just feel nicer than the blankets that you have and you're like man what would it be like to be here like to be this person um yeah. and like in that family I loved those moments that we got from Claire kind of peeking behind the curtain and seeing that um and I don't know, aside from that, what else do you, like, I had such vivid, you know, feelings as I was reading this, even though I'm not a mom, and I guess I could relate to Claire more than anybody else, but what are you hoping that readers will take from reading this book, and what do you want them to feel when they're reading it? Well, some people have told me that reading this book feels like having a glass of wine and gossiping with, like, your best <laughs> friend, um, <laughs> which makes me so happy to hear that people are having that reaction to it, because I think... Clearly, that's something that we all wish we could be doing right now. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, what I want to do is write comfort food that ends up being good for you. Um, so it's like delicious and you're gobbling it down. And then at the end, you're like, oh, actually, that had some interesting things to say. <laughs> like, <laughs> what's all those vitamins I got in there? Um, and so with, with Happy and You Know It, I really wanted to comment on the standards that women are held to um, really unfairly and particularly new moms, this idea of perfection and not being able to express when you're struggling and you need help. Uh, and hopefully we can all be a little bit more empathetic because right. I really felt empathy for all of these characters, even when they were making very bad decisions. <laughs> of course. I think, um, and also May is Mental Health Awareness Month. And mm -hmm. I think that the, we talked about, we did a whole series based on romance novels. Um, and we talked a lot about how romance delivers, can deliver important lessons in a digestible format. And I think that your book also is able to do that because we see these women and we see their struggles that even though you have the glorious apartment, that doesn't necessarily mean that, you know, your marriage is where you want it or um, you're feeling fulfilled in your career, mm -hmm. um, which I think is really important to explore. And like you were saying with um, the, the standards that we're held to, um, especially with Joanne, Joanna and her situation, her husband, which made me so angry. Like, I know. <laughs> um, but we were, um, when Ashley and I finished the book, we were going back and forth of like, oh, like, what is a book that we could like compare this to? Or like, if who could we recommend this to? Because um, like we both said, like, we're both not mothers right now, yet we were st still able to learn a lot from it. Um, so if you could do like a read alike, so like if, um, for your book. So like this book is perfect for fans of like, which titles would you choose? Mm -hmm. um, well, definitely Big Little Lies has yeah. to go in there, I think, you know, because that's one of those books that is about moms, but is so enjoyable to read, even if you're not a mother, um, because it's just really rich characters. Um, and, you know, like I wrote this book and I'm not a mom. So I definitely hope that everybody feels like they can read it. Uh, I would also say such a fun age could be a Ooh. good one too. Cause I think it's also in conversation about like class and privilege with much more of a focus on race than mine. But I loved that book, Such a Fun Age by Kylie Reed. 
Um, we love, I loved that book too. And actually, I don't think you've read it yet. No, it's on my, it's on my very long, but it's at the top of my TBR. <laughs> of to read. Um, yeah, I think it's important, especially, I mean, coming from the acting world, I think you can understand just as much as I do that, you know, a woman's life does not end when she turns 40 or has a baby, <laughs> like she's still a person. So I think that that's another important aspect that we get to see, like just because you are a mother doesn't mean you are no longer all of these other things. And I have to say, I did not see the twist coming over yes. who was behind True, true Mommy. Like, I don't, I mean, I always say I'm not an investigative journalist. Like I take what is <laughs> given to me and I, but like, I still was like, oh, I know exactly who's behind true mommy. And I was shocked. <laughs> oh, good. I'm so glad. <laughs> um, so speaking of twists, um, like what is your writing process? Like, um, especially writing something like this, that does have a big reveal. Like, do you like music? What's your environment like? Mm, well, back in the old world, <laughs> um, I used to go to this co-working space just for writers, which was great because you were like around other people. So you felt accountable, but right. everybody was quiet. <laughs> um, but actually, when I wrote the majority of this book, I was sort of fitting it in between all of my playgroups and everything. Um, and usually I needed some quiet and I would like light a candle sometimes. Yes. <laughs> um, and then I, I got my best writing done. I was so lucky in that at the time my grandmother was still living in the house where like my mom grew up um, in this little town in Connecticut. And so I was able to, whenever I had a long weekend or if I could sort of arrange my play groups to give myself some free time, I would go up there and stay with her and not connect to the Wi-Fi. And she would go to bed at like eight PM every <laughs> night and I would just like crank it out. And that's where uh, I wrote some of my favorite scenes, I would say. Okay. What town in Connecticut? Cause that's where I grew up. Really? Yeah. Uh, Guilford outside of New Haven. Okay. I grew up in Fairfield, like right oh. next to Westport. <laughs> so when oh you mentioned God. Westport, I was like, yeah, I know that. I know that situation very well too. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, but well, it's, just I, so, it's so exciting that, you know, you were able to do this and like pull from that and, and um, put together this amazing book. And then you are a part of a book of the month's May picks. How did that, like, how does that feel um, for your debut novel to make um, it onto one of the five books for a book of the month? Oh my gosh. It's been such a relief. <laughs> Um, because, you know, clearly the world looks very different now than it did when we were originally right. planning to publish this. And so it's, it's just tough to get the word out about a book, um, particularly when people can't go into bookstores and be like, oh, hmm, what's on the shelves? Right. Um, and so, you know, when we found out about Book of the Month, it was a couple months ago and I wasn't involved in any of like the pitching or negotiations or whatever happens. Uh, I had no idea any of this was going on. And then I got an email from my editor with the subject line, all in caps, just like book of the month, baby. Oh. <laughs> um, and I definitely cried. And it's been so cool because like today, the day that we're recording, this is my publication day, but um, it's been available through book of the month now for over two weeks. And so I've already been hearing from readers and it's so rewarding to be like, oh, 
people are enjoying it. It's, you know, making their nights better. They're dream casting it and sending me all their thoughts. I love it. Yeah, Yeah, Yeah. we were, I was, I was in a little bit of a reading slump before I picked this up and I right away was drawn to it um, and really enjoyed it. It is, it it was, it's, it was a fantastic book and I hope that, you know, having those extra two weeks where people are getting their hands on it before today um, will just lead more and more people to pick it up now that it is out for everybody to grab from their bookstores. Yeah, I hope so too. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we will definitely be talking about it for a while. We promise about that. Um, I think it's, it's coming at a perfect time for people because it's like, I, it's, it's, I think has a lot of elements. It's has, it's not a thriller, but it keeps you guessing. It has the, the real housewives drama that people love. Um, and it has, a lot of heart to it. Um, I was reading it in our apartment's courtyard the other day and um, a friend was like, Phoebe, what are you reading? And I was like, happy and you know it. And he just went and I clapped. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And we have to know, what is your favorite kid's song to do your sing-alongs? And is there one you wish would be banned from ever being played again? Oh my God. Um, Let's see. Well, I always loved doing Let It Go when Frozen was really big because the little girls in particular would go bananas. <laughs> like they they knew all the words and they would sing along and like dance and it was really a lot of fun. I mean, if you're happy and you know it was also generally a big hit and I would like start out most of my play groups with that because people just knew it and it was interactive and we could get into it. Um, uh I never sang Baby Shark because I hate it. (laughs) (laughs) That's mine. That's the one that I want banned. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) It's just like do, 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 do over and over again. I don't get it. (laughs) It's go nuts for that song. I was in a a touring children's theater and in between stories, we would do songs to keep the kids engaged while we like changed the little sets around. And this was like, I mean, this was back in 2012, 2013. And we would do Baby Shark before it was like a YouTube sensation. So when it came out, I was like, been there, done that. But now it's everywhere. Yeah, news. that's so funny. I did touring children's theater too. <laughs> it's a rite of passage, I think, as a performer. I think so. And I mean, travel around in a van. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> oh gosh, this is not what this podcast is about, but I could go, I got stories to tell about the van yeah. life. <laughs> um, are you working on anything right now that you can tell us about? Uh, yeah, so I'm currently in revisions for another book with the same editor and at the same publishing house. Uh, I think tentatively slated to come out 2021, although I guess who knows what the world is gonna look like then. Um, (laughs) But as of right now, the working title is A Special Place for Women. And yeah, (laughs) Uh, it's about an undercover reporter who infiltrates this top secret women's only social club for (gasps) the New York millennial elite. (laughs) Oh, that sounds fascinating. (laughs) That sounds Um, fun. (laughs) What uh, writers inspire you? Mm. Um, Well, Leon Moriarty, definitely, I think it's like the gold standard, as you know, previously mentioned, I love Big Little Lies. Uh, Cheryl Strayed, I think, is such a great writer. Yeah, and she really taught me empathy. And then over on like the screenwriting side, 
Um, Phoebe Waller-Bridge and Greta Gerwig, I think, are just so incredible and so good at like creating these flawed female characters that you still love anyway. <laughs> um, so, which is something that I really tried to do as well. Well, hopefully they listen to this and they'll want to buy your book and turn it into a film. Oh my God, call me, Phoebe, call me. (laughs) I think it would be a great miniseries or a great movie. Um, It definitely, I think, would translate. Mm -hmm, Definitely. Uh, Well, hopefully we we have that to look forward to and more books from you. It has been such a joy to have you, Laura, and all congratulations on your publication day. I know it doesn't look the way that you could have imagined it to be, but I do hope that the reading community supports you. Thank you so much. It was great talking to you both. Make sure you leave a review and a rating on Apple Podcasts, um, and you can find us on Instagram at ReadItOrListItPod, and we'll, we'll be back next week with another episode. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. Original music by Jake Thorne. Original artwork by Lindsay Huckabee. You can find Lindsay on Instagram at LindsayDrawsItAgain or on Etsy at LindsayDrawsCo. Podcast produced and edited by me, Ashley Chandler, and Phoebe Wright. You can find us on Instagram at ReadItOrListItPod. All rights reserved, 2020.